Cable's in. No, oh, all right, lovely. I shall do that. Good. Uh, a chance just to share on, on tables or in groups around where you are, um, uh, just to, to reflect, to encourage each other. Um, so a couple of questions there. What's encouraged or challenged you from Isaiah 12? Um, and then any questions brewing, bubbling up um, as we think about that passage or what it means for us and, um, and our priorities for this year? So a um, few minutes together to talk that over. What's encouraged or challenged you from Isaiah 12? Any questions brewing? A few minutes on tables or, or in groups. Off you go. Okay, a few seconds more. All right. Uh, particular encouragements or challenges? I like the bit about singing. You like... <laughs> Shock. Um, indeed. Um, um, yeah, so he, Jonathan Rabbit, believe it or not, um, likes references to singing. Um, and uh, rightly so. Um, Songs of Praise, as a title for the chapter, might evoke various kind of um, thoughts for us, but, um, but absolutely. And these are um, songs that we get to sing. And um, God's um, great gift that he doesn't just save us, he, he gives us a song sheet um, to, to know how to sing and how to praise him. Um, it's a lovely thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. That's right. Yeah. So the thought that he himself is our salvation, that personal thought, not just it, it's not something that we've got. Um, ben mentioned that really helpfully last week, that um, he is our salvation, and that this is something that we um, personally take to ourselves, those first-person singulars, I will praise you, um, in chapters, uh, verses 1 and 2. That becomes a corporate, you plural will say, um, we will make him known. Um, but it begins again with that personal, he is my individual salvation, um, to, to receive that and then to find our place uh, amongst God's people. Lovely. Thank you. Anything else or any questions brewing? I, I phrased it that way because for some of us, it takes a little while for those questions to come up, and it might be that they come up in weeks to come. Great. Keep bringing them. But um, any other encouragements, challenges, or, or questions you want to share? Yeah, and that's helpful because um, it's not that there's a very complicated mechanism of salvation that we need to try and explain to people. Um, it is, let me tell you about this person and what he means to me. That's really wonderful. Um, included in that are the things he has done. So we are going to speak about um, what he's done, um, but it is, um, it's, it's our God and what he's done rather than anything more complicated or technical, and that's, that's a real joy. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So that emphasis on joy here, just to repeat for the recording. Um, yes, the idea that Christians naturally would be a joyful people. Of course, that doesn't mean a fixed smile because everything outwardly is going wonderfully. Um, so 
Um, as Jesus suffered, as the apostles suffered, you're not supposed to think there's a sort of real bubbly sort of quality to them in all of that, but a, but a deep confidence and joy in the Father and his goodness um, to us, even in hardship, that joy. And um, in lots of occasions, as it has um, today, I've loved singing with you today. What, what a kind of deep sense of gladness in the things that we've been able to sing about. Um, there is a real joy and, and praising um, for, for those things. All right, let's um, do, if, you just, if you've got some questions and you think, I don't want to put my hand up and ask in front of everybody, but I do have a question, come, come chat to me, come chat to Ben, um, do, um, do bring those questions, we'd love to hear them. Let's, um, let's move on to think a bit more about that idea of gathering the nations to, um, to worship God. Um, some verses um, from Isaiah are just going to come up on the screen here, if I can get that moving. It is. Um, USB's in. There we go. All right. Um, but maybe that was you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's just see if I can do it. I can't do it. So I'm just going to say um, click on. But first, Isaiah chapter t- uh, 2, verse 2. This is one of the verses that we read this morning. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted over the hills, and all nations will stream to it. A few more verses to come. Uh, 11, again, we read this one. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Another one, Isaiah 55. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. And there's one more, Isaiah 60, verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Um, What do all of those verses have in common as they speak about the nations? Um, They speak about the nations coming in. Um, There's a center and the nations all come. The nations are going to stream to the mountain in Isaiah 2. Jesus is the great banner that people are going to gather to. Um, And then Israel in Isaiah 55 and 60 um, are going to be this meeting place where the nations come in. Um, The people who you don't know will come running to you. Nations will come to your light. This movement from the outside in to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the meeting place of God. And that's a direction that in the Old Testament you see worked out several times and, and into the beginning of the New Testament So think about the Queen of Sheba, that great moment in Solomon's kingdom where um, you get this, um, you get the nations actually coming and uh, and wanting to see what is so significant about Israel. And so the Queen of Sheba comes. Um, You get the same kind of movement when you see the wise men coming to adore the the infant Jesus. That idea of um, pagans, outsiders coming to a particular place to, to worship. So in, in Isaiah in particular, as it describes this vision of the nations coming, it very often says they are going to be gathered from um, the ends of the earth and they're all going to come to a particular place. They're all going to stream to Jerusalem. Israel's function is to be this light that people are drawn to. Okay? So this whole movement is inward. Now, um, when we think about the New Testament, we'll click on... Um, thank you. 
Victor. Uh, Here's Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus there at the end of Matthew's gospel says, you are going to go out. And this has struck people as a really big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the idea that Israel is the place where everyone's going to come. And now in the New Testament, things are completely reversed. And Jesus sends people out. No longer trying to gather people in. Instead, we are sent out. Um, So here's uh, one writer um, arguing that point. This is um, Ed Stetzer, who's an American Christian um, writer and speaker. When Christ instructed his followers to head out, bearing witness of him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, this signaled a new chapter in kingdom work. No longer were God's people to be continually drawn toward Jerusalem, as had been the case throughout the Old Testament. They were now being sent out from Jerusalem. And then here come some technical bits. The centripetal mission of bringing outsiders into an earthly city was being replaced by the centrifugal mission of taking heaven's glories to the cities of the world. Um, Why did I keep that last sentence? Because it's how actually quite a lot of people talk about this this kind of difference. Um, A centripetal movement is to come towards the center. The nations are going to gather. A centrifuge sends people out. And so the suggestion is, in the Old Testament, people are gathered in. In the New Testament, we are sent out. Now, is that right? That's what I want to think about for a moment. Um, Is that right? And what does that mean for how we actually are going to fulfill this idea of making God known among the nations? Well, there is definitely some truth to the idea that in the Old Testament, the ideal was that people gathered to Jerusalem, to Israel, um, and um, that now we are sent out. There is a definite difference there. So as you think about the Old Testament, there's only one prophet who gets sent out to outside of Israel, the prophet Jonah. Um, so generally, um, God is sending prophets to, um, to, the, to Israel in its um, different stages. And Israel definitely existed as a particular nation in a particular place where people could come and see what it's like to live with God as your king. Um, So definitely in the Old Testament, it was pretty rare for people to be sent out, and definitely there was a role for gathering people into Jerusalem. Um, And you'd have to say, in the New Testament, there is a big theme on people going and being sent out. Um, So um, in Matthew's Gospel, this is the beginning of a great great theme, um, that the disciples are sent out, um, and um, that follows what... Um, what God has done in sending Jesus into the world. There is a sending out. Jesus himself steps into the world um, as God with us, and then he promises that he is going to go with us into the whole world. So there's a movement like that. Um, John's gospel is going to emphasize the same thing, that God sent his son into the world, and then the son sends us. So there's a big emphasis on this movement out and away. But... 
It is possible, I think, to exaggerate the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament on this. The Old Testament, for example, is very concerned about the nations being reached. Um, Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, the whole plan is for the nations to be blessed. But later this year, we're going to spend some time in the life of Abraham thinking about that very theme, how God calls a people so that the nations might be reached. Um, and there are some other places where in the New Testament we realize the church is also supposed to be an attractive center for people to come to. Um, let's notice that um, in a couple of places. If you've got a Bible, do you want to turn to Matthew um, chapter 5? It's almost my first birthday at Woody Road. Um, I think next Sunday will be a year um, since I first came. Is that right, Ben? You know, yeah, you pay attention to these kind of things. Um, so uh, when I came and was asked to, to preach, I had a choice of what to preach on, and I preached on Matthew 5 um, and verses 13 to 16. Here is Jesus describing his followers. Um, you are the salt of the earth, chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, from the, some of the language from Isaiah, this idea of Israel being a light to the nations, you can see Jesus is saying the church is going to work a bit like that. It is going to be a light that people ought to be able to see and that draws them. So Jesus, to his disciples, says there is still going to be a, um, an attractive function to the church. It's going to be a light that does draw people in as well as um, a church that goes out. Uh, let's um, see a couple more examples um, in John's Gospel, um, just come on to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 um, and verse 34. There Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's the central commandment in Jesus' teaching that we love one another. And that has um, lots of purposes. It is so that we show the love that we've received to one another. But part of it is an evangelistic goal. Verse 35, the church ought to so love one another and that ought to be visible to the world that people will say, these people have experienced God's love and they are followers of, of a God of love as they get to see the relationships between Christians, the love that we have for one another. So the church here is, is something distinctive that does draw people in. It is something for the world to witness, to pay attention to, to be drawn to. Then one more place. Um, come on to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 uh, is, um, of course, the moment of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out on the church. And um, there are a couple of places where 
and we are told that bears real fruit and people join the church. Um, first of all, and there is Peter standing up to preach to the crowd. Um, and that's the, the long sermon that takes up most of Acts chapter 2. And the fruit of it is there in verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, So there, the church is growing because Peter is preaching publicly. But then notice what happens next. Verse 42, these believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Fascinating little phrase at the end there. Seems to me the point is that God adds to the church through the public preaching of Peter. We're going to keep doing that, okay? We're going to keep preaching the gospel publicly. But how else does the church grow? It grows as the church lives out this sort of life, this devoting themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, to hospitality, um, to celebrating the Lord's Supper and to prayer, and um, to be seen by the world, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord adds to their number. So it's, it's another hint that the New Testament isn't simply saying to the church, spread out and go out. Instead, it is saying that in various ways, the church in the New Testament is still going to be a place of witness, a light for people to witness, to be drawn to, um, as well as going out into all the world. So there's some balance that I think we need to strike. And if we click on one more... Uh, Oh no, these are the verses we've looked at. Here we are. Tim Chester, I think, puts it really well to try and hold together this idea of both gathering in and sending out. Here's what he, he says. The nations no longer stream into a literal city of Jerusalem, but are drawn to the new Jerusalem, the church. So now, mission involves a double movement. Jesus sends us out to the ends of the earth, and everywhere we go, we create communities of light that draw people in. I think that's a lovely way of trying to hold those things together to say, how does the New Testament church fulfill its responsibilities? Absolutely, it is committed to sending people out, to going out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and from the ends of the earth, like here, to the ends of the earth, wherever they are. Um, so uh, we want to keep praying for global mission. We want to keep encouraging people to serve on the mission field and supporting our mission partners well. Um, we want to carry on planting churches um, so that there will be places that aren't yet served by the gospel, served by the gospel. So that outward movement is really important. But what are we always trying to accomplish in that? Communities of light. Isn't that a lovely phrase? To say, in each place... The way that these people relate to each other, their life on display draws people in. Um, they teach, they seek to share the gospel, they seek to make God known wherever they are, but a really significant feature is their life together. 
and how that draws people in. So I think that gives us a couple of things to reflect on. And this is what we're going to do for the rest of our time, to think, how can we think about that double movement? Um, here's the first one. Here's the sort of going out movement. And then um, we'll think about these questions for a little while, and then we'll start thinking, what about this idea that we're to be a community of light and draw people in? Here are some questions to, to chat about again in those groups, just thinking about that outward movement. What opportunities have you found to go out and make known what God has done? We're not starting from scratch. Um, there will be just some stories and encouragements to share about opportunities that you've had to go and, and make Jesus known. So we might share those. We might just start asking, are there opportunities to start building relationships through hobbies, through networks, through neighbours, and ways in which we might um, individually or in um, groups start to think, how can we face outward and make some more connection? Um, how would this outward movement shape our prayers over the next year? Um, so um, a few minutes now, just to start talking around those things and that idea of the church's responsibility to be moving outward. Five minutes or so to discuss on tables or in groups. Off you go. Any, any particular kind of good ideas or examples that you've heard around tables or things that you're thinking, we just we couldn't come up with an answer to that. Um, so ideas, encouragements, big yes buts coming out. Yeah, right. Jeremy Um, so Jeremy Marshall, um, fairly kind of well-known Christian in, in recent times who um, uh, was suffering from cancer and died last year, I think. Um, so um, yeah, wrote some really helpful resources around actually just how to, how to die and um, the evangelistic, thinking evangelistically about that. Um, but his question was, excuse me, do you mind if I ask, do you have a faith? And just and, and seeing what people say and saying, um, I, I wonder whether you've read the Bible. They say, almost certainly, I haven't, um, or not very much. And you say, would you like to? Um, he was doing it over the phone as well as in person. Yeah. Um, great. Thank you. Anything else? <laughs> Is that why you travel by bus? <laughs> Carry on, sorry. Fantastic. How did the rest of the passengers feel about you chatting away to the driver? Um, I'm sure. <laughs> ah, very good. Great. Yeah. Just to making that opportunity to be, to be friendly, to be talkative with people. Um, not all of us have that gift or that temperament, um, but um, it's surprising how many people, um, when we show some interest in them, conversations can, can start. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, anyone on the tables thinking, I've got this absolutely cracked, 
Um, I find this incredibly easy. No. Um, can I lead us in a quick prayer and then we'll come on to the next reflection? Father, how conscious we are of the need of your help um, for courage, for boldness, for wisdom to know what to say um, and how to handle some of those really hard conversations where people um, react very strongly. Um, perhaps we are really bruised by some of those conversations that we've had with friends or family. Um, Father, we pray, please, you'd help us to know um, what is wise and right to try and say and share. Help us to be an encouragement to each other in these things. And Father, please, by your spirit, um, grow us in these things um, that we um, might make the most of the opportunities that you give us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a clicker that works. Yeah, look at that. All right. Uh, Okay, so we thought about... That, remember, Tim Chester says, double movement. The church goes out, and the church seeks to draw people in. So we thought about the going out very briefly. Let's think for a moment about that thought of gathering in. Um, are there ways to help your non-Christian friends to be drawn into Christian community? And what could you do to help that happen? How could we help? Um, how would Sunday mornings look if we were aware of people being drawn in? Um, It's remarkable how many Sundays we'll have um, people coming in off the street or people who've been invited by their friends. Um, And so let's just ask that question, not assuming that things um, would look drastically different. There are some things that we might keep doing that are um, are really helpful. Let's share those things. Um, Are there things that we might change or just be more aware of as we think about the way that our gatherings on a Sunday can be part of that visible church as a community of light? So again, back into, back into groups, a few minutes to chew over those questions. Why not just spend a moment or two on the Sunday morning question? Thank you. Okay, so we're thinking about this double movement idea that Jesus both sends his church out But the church, as it goes out, is designed to be these communities of light where our life is on display, where people can encounter the Christian community um, and find that attractive and be drawn in. So um, thinking about these questions in in connection to that, um, anything in particular that you think would be helpful, either that you could be doing or that we could be doing, to um, help the Christian community here to be a bit more visible, interactable with? Um, Anything coming up on tables on that question? And we just keep them really separate. And it's like, it's the easiest thing in the world, really, to say, instead of having a meal with this group or this group, I'll have a meal with some from each group. And suddenly, your non-Christian friends see you interact with other Christians, see some of that Christian community, and they go, oh, if I came to church, I wouldn't just know this person. I now actually know three people in the room. That feels a bit less scary. Fantastic. This idea, very simply, of instead of socialising in two separate compartments, my non-Christian friends over here, my Christians over here, um, rather finding ways to, um, to mix those groups, that both has just a benefit of them seeing how you interact and, and growing in relationships um, when you get together, but also the prospect of them coming to church, having met two or three people, much, much easier. What's the book? By Sam Chan. How good. Um, so, uh, thank you. Um, how to talk about Jesus without being that guy. That guy. Sam Chan. Thank you. Great. Anything else coming up? I think we 
Yeah. Excellent. Fresh, independent thought in the middle here. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, there will be ways in which um, we could think together, individually, we could just have a go at doing that a little bit more. Um, if there are ways that um, perhaps home groups or um, within home groups or um, other, other settings um, to, to try and start doing that sort of thing, um, that could be enormously helpful. Uh, what about Sunday mornings? Let me just say very quickly, um, churches lurch between two quite big extremes on this question. One is... We don't care if we are completely incomprehensible to non-Christians because the church is the gathering of the body of Christ and so um, they can, if it, nothing makes sense to them, we're fine with that. That's one extreme. Or the let's rip up everything we do at church and think what would be most um, accessible to non-Christians. So praying's a bit weird, we won't pray. And reading the Bible in long passages, well, we're not going to read long passages and go to that extreme. We're not going to do either of those things. Um, so as we gather, the principal reason why we gather is to be able to worship our God together and to be built up. So that's, that's why we meet on a Sunday morning. But it's helpful for us still to ask the question, what is it actually like if I were to come in through those doors um, to be amongst them? Um, what might there be that we're doing that's helpful um, or that um, we could do differently that would be more helpful to make, to make the church be um, helpful to, to those who come? Church is weird anyway, and I want to embrace the weird. No matter which side you take that slider that you described, yep. it's going to be weird for somebody, yes. no matter where you are on it. Yep. You know, I came here 20 plus, 30 years ago, and um, the, you weren't wearing dog collars, and you weren't here, but you, you were wearing board stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't wearing gowns and robes, and, and etc. It was weird. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Uh, when I first went to church, I've told this story here yet, um, and... Please start telling me. If I start repeating my stories too often here, please tell me this. Um, when I first went to church age 17, there was a communion table at the front, and it said, do this in remembrance of me, and underneath it had the name of the guy who donated the table. <laughs> I could not understand why we were doing anything in remembrance of Mr. Edwards. It took me ages before I even got the reference. Oh, that's in the Bible. So... As people come and it's new, of course, um, there's going to be a whole load of stuff that's strange and, and we'll, we'll kind of get over that. So, yep, um, thank you. Um, we were saying to, like, to something to keep doing, definitely um, church lunch, uh, the opportunity to rather than you come for an hour of the meeting of the church, you come for like the day almost if you want to. Uh, and just the idea that it's so easy to invite and just to say, oh, there's a free lunch afterwards, stick around. Like, you don't have to book, you know, have to pay, it's just free, come along, um, and so many, it's just, you just stick around, and oh, you have tea and coffee, and then there's, you might talk to one person at church, in the church service, you might talk to a different person in the queue, different person at the table, family, feeling to it, yeah. but it's really different, you know, and my mum often says, you know, her church, drive at 10.30, you leave at 11.30, um, it's also quite a small church, and it's mostly full of people who, that, that suits them. But 
I don't think it would suit them if there was something else on the table that was offered. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. So the, the real value of those lunches together, the time that that gives us together, the number of different conversations that you can have in that time. Um, worth saying, of course, for some people, um, they will want to come and get out almost as quickly as they can. I've chatted to lots of people whose story at Woody Road was, um, I, I, I came to something like Stepping Stones, or I, I was really quite anxious about coming. Um, it was, if I brought my kid, that felt like a bit of cover. People were really just trying to feel out, is this a safe place, can I come, what's it gonna be like? And so, what we don't want to do is to kind of sit down next to somebody who's new and say, you absolutely must stay for lunch. Um, it might well be that, um, come the end of the service, They've, they've had enough, that's, that's been a good experience, um, and um, so don't link arms with them and march them to the lunch queue, <laughs> but, but do make sure that they know that they're really welcome, and that's um, a good way to get to know folks. Yeah, great, thank you. Yeah, Roger. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, Roger. Yeah, the importance of prayer. So um, it might well be that um, if, if somebody wanted to, to gather here to um, pray um, in the hall, you'd be very, very welcome to. If, if earlier on a Sunday morning you've got the opportunity simply to pray, Lord, if somebody comes to church this morning who doesn't know you, may they um, hear something of you from your word. May they get a, a rich welcome. Um, please do be praying. Let's, let's pray together. Let's pray um, Sunday by Sunday. We would really value that. Um, one, very, one very little thing. Um, that area over there, as you first come in, sometimes gets quite crowded. People get that far and then sort of stop and chat. And I wonder if for somebody coming in, either for whom just social situations are a bit overwhelming or you're new here, the thought of actually just having to fight through a bit of a crowd to get any further in, um, so one really simple thing I think we could do is just uh, make sure that it's easy to move in and through. Um, okay, um, I'm not sure that's obstructing our way through, um, but we can, um, we can think that one through. Um, Eden. Fantastic, great. Um, some of you will be brilliant at remembering names. Some of you will need to do what I do, which is immediately after you've talked to somebody, send yourself a text message of that name and, and something to remind you who that was. Um, Mark, you've made a real effort to be learning people's names as part of the welcome team. Is that what you're doing? Any other tips for us? Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Great. Great. Good. Lovely. Right. Um, we will. We will finish there. We're going to finish by singing. Um, uh, so uh, let's. Um, Let's keep praying around these things. Let's keep reflecting on them. Um, ideas and questions, um, do bring them to us. We'd love to hear them. Um, but as we finish, um, we're going to sing um, Your Glorious Cause, O God, Engages Our Hearts. So um, as the music stands, if you're able, let's stand and let's sing together. <laughs>